does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for these beautiful words, these beautiful exhortations from the Apostle Paul. And Father, as we look at them in a little bit more in-depth, we pray that your Holy Spirit would magnify their meaning in our hearts and minds, that we may see them afresh for the first time, that we may not just know them, that we may also put them into practice in our lives as we go about renewing our minds each and every day. And Father, may the words I speak bring you glory, for it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So we've been looking at Romans 12, 2 for at least two weeks. We'll look at it a little bit again this morning. But there are, there's a lot of gold in those few words in the first few verses of chapter 12. And last week we focused on examining and seeking the will of God and exactly what that looked like and, and what that meant. And Paul is going to tell us what it looks like to renew our minds. He tells us to renew our minds, and then he's going to put a little flesh on the bones as to explain to us what that looks like. Because we can be told all we want, renew our minds, and without guidance and detail of what that means, it would be impossible for us to do that. But as I said last week, we we spent most of the time looking at God's will. And we saw two distinctions with respect to God's will. We saw one is his sovereign will. And that will you're not going to change. That will is how he wants the world to play out. And it is at work in every small detail that happens. And there's nothing that we're going to do to change that. And it is God that's in control of that. And yet we also know that there is another will of God. And we call that the will of command. And it is the will of God that we can disobey. And unfortunately, we do quite often. When he tells us not to sin, that is clearly the will of God. And yet we do. We sin, we fail, we fall. But as Christians, we pick ourselves up, we repent, we brush ourselves off by the grace of God, and we go right back into the fight. And so hopefully you can see those two types of wills are different. There is one that is obey-oriented, and there is one that you're not going to mess with. There's one that you're not going to confound. And there's beauty in both of those, and we talked about the beauty in both of those. When disaster strikes, I want to know that God's got this. That no matter what anybody or anything, whether it be a human or Satan or anything else is going to happen, God's in control of it, and he's got it. And at the same time, I want to know that God doesn't like sin. And even though those bad things over there happen because of sin, he doesn't approve of that sin. And he despises the sin that is in the world. And so there is beauty in both of God's wills as we looked at them last week. But I want to spend more time this morning on this renewed mind and what that means and what that looks like in our lives. And the renewed mind, and I want you to understand because Paul exhorts us and I exhort us, but the renewed mind is not 
given to those with the greatest willpower. And I want you to understand that, okay? The renewed mind isn't handed to those who have the greatest amount of willpower because it's never going to work that way. A truly renewed mind flows naturally from a renewed heart, and that's the way it comes about. So if we're just focused on how we think and focused on willpower, it's not going to work because there's always going to be evil incentives and motives and things like that in there that's, that's challenging us and distracting us. But a truly renewed mind only comes from a renewed heart, and that's so very important as we look at this. We are told that we are a new creation in Christ, that we are His workmanship, and we've been called to do His work created in Christ for good works. We have to put off the old self and put on the new self. And we are to be renewed in the knowledge after the image of our Creator, Colossians tells us. So being renewed in the knowledge after the image of our Creator. So being renewed in the knowledge can only come from exposing ourselves to God's Word from exposing ourselves to him. And so with that knowledge and wisdom that he imparts to us, and I, we looked at it last week, then it's the application, right? It's fine and dandy to have all the knowledge you want and all the wisdom you want. But if we don't apply it, it's worthless. It is worthless. So it is the application is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. So everything... In chapter 12, and I don't know, I would ask that you take the time this week to read the entire chapter 12. Know that everything in chapter 12 deals with a renewed mind and what it looks like and how it is to be applied in our lives. And it is an extremely beautiful chapter because of that. And so we embark on that a little bit this morning as we look at Verse 3. Verse 2 encouraged us to renew our minds. Now, we're not really told how the renewed mind thinks or how it works. And we did get some clues in verse 2, but we get a little bit more information in verse 3. And it is in verse 3 that Paul puts a little flesh on the bones of a renewed mind. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, you're not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Does anyone not have any problems with this verse? Really? If, if, if you see this and you think you've got this good you're simply lying, and you're not able to have sober judgment. That's the truth. If, if you think this verse is easy, you're not sober-minded, and you're not looking at your true self and true being. So we've got some clues here what a renewed mind looks like. And so the opposite of a renewed mind is a fallen mind right, is a fallen mind. 
And whenever we began this study in Romans all the way back in chapter 1, we saw in detail what a fallen mind looked like. And that's the beauty of the book of Romans. Because I told you and I challenged us all whenever we started in this wonderful venture through the book of Romans that it would challenge us. It's going to tell us things about ourselves that we may not like. And it's going to tell us things about God that we may disagree with in our judgmental hearts. But it is filled with beautiful truths. And we have that here this morning in chapter 12 as well. So when we looked at the fallen mind in chapter 1, we know that the fallen mind exchanged the glory of God for what? This guy. Right? Ourselves. We exchanged the glory of God for an image of an image, a copy of a copy of a copy of creation. We traded the glory of God for the glory of ourselves. That's what the fallen mind does. The fallen mind is only worried about one thing. That is, what's in it for me? How can I be happy? How can everything in my life be wonderful here on earth? That is the definition of what a fallen mind looks like. But here we're seeing the contrast of that. We're we're seeing a renewed mind and what the renewed mind is supposed to look like. The renewed mind cherishes the glory of God above all else. The fallen mind cherishes the glory of himself or herself. The renewed mind cherishes the glory of God. The fallen mind wants nothing of God because God dictates our lives. And you ain't the boss of me, right? That's the fallen mind. The renewed mind understands the beauty of following Jesus, the beauty of submitting to Christ and to his law and everything that goes along with it. The renewed mind sees that and seeks that because in a renewed mind, Christ is its treasure above all of creation. We talked about back in chapter 1 how the fallen mind worships the creation over the creator everything gets kind of backwards God's created so many wonderful things for us when the fallen mind comes in we worship the creation and basically don't even agree that there was a creator but the renewed mind is just the opposite the renewed mind enjoys creation and all the beauty and wonders that God has given us but we always know the difference and seek to worship the creator Know and understand that he created this for our enjoyment, but how much more will he create in the next life? When there is no sin, when there is no pain, there is no suffering. Renewed minds do not make idols out of things in this world. It treasures the glory of God above everything else. And is always quick to give God the glory for even the smallest of things. And those were all things that we can glean from verse 2 about the renewed mind. Now, verse 3, as I said, is going to expand on that. Look at the number of times Paul uses the word think 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with the sober judgment. Three, three times in that passage. And so you're dealing with a mind here. You're dealing with a renewed mind and what a renewed mind is supposed to and not supposed to do. And what exactly it looks like. What's the sin in Paul's exhortation here? Anyone? Pride, right? Pride. That's it. Pride is the sin that Paul's getting at here. And it's the first one out of the box, right? He just, he just exhorted us to renew our minds and then bam, right out the gate, he starts off with pride. And it's not a coincidence that that's where he starts. Because that is the biggest difference between the fallen mind and the renewed mind. The sin of pride. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The issue with pride is that it not only stands between us, each other, but it stands between us and God. Because as I just quoted to you in James, and I think it is in Peter, we see that God does resist the proud and gives grace to the humble. The mind set on the flesh does not submit to God. Because the only thing that the mind set on the flesh does is submit to ourselves. And that's the danger with pride. Indeed, it cannot. Minds of the flesh are not subordinate to God. At least they think they're not. They ultimately are. But they think that they are, they are not. In fact, minds of the flesh are insubordinate to everything and everyone. Fallen minds submit only to themselves. If you don't believe me, come to work with me. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. Right? I'm not going to submit to anyone or anything. So whenever we refuse to submit to anyone or anything, how can we possibly submit to God? can't that, that that same mental framework applies to God as it does to those in authority because we're going to see chapter 13 coming up here whenever it happens we're going to see that God has put the players in authority they're in authority right now so this idea of I will not submit to anything or anyone is a fallen mindset and is not a renewed mindset. So Paul asks us to make a sober judgment. What does he mean by a sober judgment? When you, we have to be honest with ourselves, and, I, and I've asked us to do that because when it's just you and God and, and there's nobody else out there that you're trying to fool or trying to make yourself out to be something that you're not, it's just between you and God, you have to make a sober judgment of who you are. At some point in time, we have to look in the mirror. Right? The fallen mind always looks in the mirror and loves what they see. The fallen mind is the world's biggest narcissist. 
They absolutely believe that their image is better than every other image out there. That though it may not be perfect, it's good enough. That's a fallen mind. A renewed mind is honest with themselves. A renewed mind sees every wrinkle, every scar, every imperfection. Honesty. And that's what Paul's asking here. When you think about yourself and who you are, be honest with yourself. Because there's going to be a time when it's just you and God. And there's going to be nothing but honesty and truth that's out there. And all those lies that you've told yourself are going to be meaningless. Because God knows the true image in that mirror when we look back. But the beauty of it is, the renewed mind can not only see the wrinkles and scars and the damage whenever it's reflected back, but that renewed mind sees through a transparent glass. It's almost like the glass in the back of those doors back there. If you look at it, you can't see a reflection, but then it's also transparent and you can see through it. What do we see on the other side of that? Jesus. That's the perfection. That's the perfection that we're counting on. Even though it reflects back a lot of impurities and things that that aren't good, and we see us for who we really are, when we look beyond that, it's Jesus that makes that a perfect image. And so the only reason we should ever like what we see is when we can see beyond and see Christ in all of his perfection on the other side of that glass. Sober judgment means judgment that is unbiased and truthful. Unfortunately, the fallen mind does not have the ability to do that. It will always be obscured with a lie. But we must, nonetheless, take a a self-assessment. And whenever we do that self-assessment, we come to what Paul said earlier, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And that is the truth that belies all of us. It points out that we are totally unworthy of the pride that is within us. So I I hope you can see what Paul's doing here. He's saying we, we need to make an assessment of ourselves. And we need to make sure we don't think more of ourselves than we should. And we have to be sober-minded in that judgment or assessment. We have to be truthful in that. And then he adds a little line at the very end there. And it is so telling. Each according to the measure of what? Faith. Faith. Pride focuses on me. Faith focuses on somebody else. And so when we make this self-assessment... We have to focus on God. It changes it and it says we turn our focus on God who gives us faith. The very nature of faith means that we have to put our trust in someone else. And that's exactly what Paul's telling us to do. This faith requires us to look beyond ourselves and trust someone else. He's telling us that the renewed mind... Whenever it doesn't see blemishes, it doesn't see the blemishes because it's looking at someone else. And it's looking at Jesus. And it sees him for all the perfection 
that he is, the beauty of Christ and, and what he did for us. Our value, the value of our lives, rises and falls depending on the value we put on Jesus. That's it. The value of our lives is the sum of the value we put in Jesus. The more value we put on Christ, the more valuable our lives are. The less value we put on Christ, the less valuable our lives are. Do you see how inverted that is to the fallen mind? I mean, the value that the world and the fallen mind places on a human being usually has a lot to do with the bank account or whatever job they may hold. But that's not what is valuable. Because those things fade away. Those things go away. The value in our lives is directly proportional to the value that we place on Christ. And how do we place that value in Him? In, by faith. And it is only by faith. But He also inherent in this is two words before faith. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So this could be a double-edged sword, right? Because he's telling us that there's different levels of faith. I think we know that. I think you've all seen, or we've all seen people of great faith, and we've all seen people of very little faith, both believing in Christ Jesus as their Savior. So he's telling us that there's differences in that. Well, within that, there could become problems, or there could arise difficult situations. Because what happens to those who have great faith? That old fallen nature creeps back in, right? So whenever those have great faith and somebody says to them, you have such great faith. Oh, yes, I do. I do, right? Those that have very little faith, are the same token, whenever you feel like, I wish I had that faith. And then you can become envious and you can feel inferior and you can feel like maybe I'm not a Christian at all. So there are dangers in that. And they're only dangerous because of the fallen man that continues to reside to some extent within us. But the pride can show its ugly head in our lives in a very inopportune moment. But it is a measure of faith. Not everyone has the same amount. So does this help or does it hinder the church is the question. We've talked about how it can hinder the church through pride, through jealousy, um, all types of different feelings we can have about that. But at the same time, it can also be very helpful to the church. We know that, pro- that Paul did not mean that it is given in different measures so that we can be envious or jealous or that others can be boastful and proud. But we have to also know that faith grows and sometimes it also diminishes. Romans 15, 5 and 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus that together you may with one voice 
glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see the benefit of that. We see the benefit he's given to each a measure of faith, and we'll talk about some of the gifts in the coming weeks. But he's given to each a measure of faith, and they are to work together to glorify God with one voice. A renewed mind has no pride in that it's not boastful of great faith. And the same way, it is not envious of little faith. A renewed mind works together and encourages one another, loves each other, and in so doing, glorifies God always. The renewed mind acknowledges with all honesty, no matter what that level or portion may be, that it is God that gave me this. I did nothing to deserve it. And when we keep that mindset, then humility always follows. So finally, what do we do about this? Because God's in control of the faith. He's the one that gives it. I think that we have to be honest with ourselves and all agree, and we all wish we had more faith, right? Because we all have those moments when we feel like, God, I just wish I had more faith. So because, because God gives it, do we just sit on our hands and say, God, give it, and do nothing? We're not in control of the giving. So is it a passive process? I want to sidestep just for a moment. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always give thanks to you, God, for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So Paul exhorts these people, these Thessalonians, for their faith and that it's growing. He doesn't just praise God for growing their faith. He's actually exhorting them because their faith is growing. So we know that it can't be a totally passive thing. There has to be something that we can do that grows faith, even though it comes from God. It gets very difficult to understand, I know. It's a difficult process. But what I want us to avoid doing is saying, God, grow my faith, and that's the end of it. We just sit on our hands and become passive because it doesn't work that way. Our faith does not grow like that. Faith grows, and at the same time, faith can wither. I think that we've probably all had moments in our lives that we've felt like we've had great faith and moments in our life where we felt like we've had virtually no faith, right? So you think back to those times. What was going on in your life in those moments when you had great faith? And what was going on in those moments in your life when you had no faith? It grows and it withers, yet it comes from God. Philippians 2.12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. We don't sit on our hands and wish we had more faith and expect that it's going to come. 
It doesn't come through those types of channels. We have to exercise our faith. It is active and it gains strength the more we exercise it. The less we exercise it, the more it withers. That's just reality. So those times of great faith, I will promise you, you were much more diligent in your relationship with God than you were in those times of no or little faith, right? That's the way it works. The Holy Spirit reminds us, hey, you need to be doing these things to get closer to God, and we refuse and we don't, we disobey the will of command, then our faith begins to wither. We abide by the requests and the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts telling us that we need to be doing these things, reading these these things, whatever the case may be. We do that. Our faith is being exercised and our faith grows. And we become closer with God. It's that simple. The more we exercise it, the greater it grows. The more we neglect it, the more it withers. It's like our bodies, right? When we're young, we don't think about it that much. But the older we get, the more we know we have to exercise our bodies or they wither, right? I was telling somebody the other day, I can do anything and I'm sore. If I burp, I'm sore for three days. You know, it's just the reality of what our bodies become. So if we don't exercise them, then we're not going to be able to do the things that we used to do very easily. Same way with faith. Always know that it comes from God, though, right? Know that. But when the Holy Spirit encourages us to read our Bible, to be involved in a Bible study, or whatever the case may be, listen to His voice, obey His voice, and your faith will grow. What gets me are those that don't prepare that disobey the command or the will of command of God, will not listen to the Holy Spirit in their hearts, and then when tragedy strikes, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? What has happened? Because your faith has not been built to the point you can deal with it. Right? If your faith is where it needs to be, nothing in this world is going to happen that you're going to be able not to deal with. But we neglect. And when we neglect, it withers. And when it withers and tragedy strikes, our world explodes. Our reality explodes. Listen to that still small voice when he comes across your mind. And he said, you know what? It'd be nice if you would pick up your Bible and start reading it be nice if you came to Sunday school, if you dedicated yourself to whatever it is. Listen to that voice, and I promise you, when you listen to that voice, he's going to grow your faith, and he's going to bring you closer to God, and he's going to give you the faith you need when tragedy comes, and oh, it will. Don't think that you have the Midas touch in your life that everything you touch will turn to gold, and you'll never suffer because that's not life. That's not reality. But when that tragedy comes or that suffering comes, you're going to be able to deal with it. 
because you know that you serve a God that's in control of everything and he loves you and he despises the sin and you guys are close. You want that great faith that somebody else has? Listen to the Holy Spirit. That's what a renewed mind looks like and that's how a renewed mind acts. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for the wisdom that Paul imparts to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit, that he would speak to all of our hearts, that he would encourage us to draw closer to you because we know the moment we do, then our faith gets stronger. And it is with that great faith that we're able to endure the most difficult hardships here on this earth. And we're able to see your glory in everything, Lord, from the rising to the setting of the sun to the sound of the birds to everything that exists on this earth that is here for our pleasure and your glory. And let us be able to see that always, Lord, no matter how difficult it may be. Father, help us to exercise the faith that you give us. Help us to always remain humble no matter how great that faith may grow that we know and understand that it is a gift from you and it's not because of anything that we do. And may our lives be living sacrifices unto you and may you renew our minds. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.